0: short preaching time. Garen said that with a little sarcasm. Got you. But man, it's just so good to be here this morning and to celebrate what God has done. You know, we'll read our passage this morning. And, you know, just as we kind of navigate through this time and as we kind of enter in back into a time of worship at the end, uh, I, I pray that everything we've talked about, we've talked about as. we've talked about what that means, these elements of celebration, these elements of anticipation about what God has done, what God is doing, and what he plans to fulfill and continue to do in our lives and for his people. You know, we've talked about knowing who the giver is. We've talked about understanding the gifts that he gives us. You know, we've talked about the promises of God. And this week, I pray that if we understand one thing, that the greatest gift God gave us is his presence. And I hope this morning that as we see what God has for us in his word, as we spend our our short time in God's word this morning, that we will see that God's presence with his people is the greatest gift that he gave to us. And I think it's one of the things in our lives that we, we, we unfortunately neglect, that we forget, that we love the promises, we love to talk about what he's given, we love to talk about what he's laid before us, what he has for us, what he wants to do with us. But I pray this morning we see the value in the presence of God. A nearness, a closeness to our Savior this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and verse 14, we're going to read together. You know, with over 7,000 promises made in the Bible to God's people or otherwise by God, the greatest thing we can embrace is not just a a movement towards his promises, but the very presence that he has for us and gives us. I wanted to start out in John chapter 1 because I think it's important that we establish who Jesus is. In a sense of what we celebrate truly this morning. And what his presence means for us in our day to day life. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14. Says this. It says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray this morning that we would just wholeheartedly lean into your presence. God, in every way, in every form, God, I pray that we would lean into your presence, God. Lord, I, I, I ask you to forgive us where for we've neglected to acknowledge and embrace your presence with your people. God, that a lot of times we look at the outside world and, 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 and say shame on them for not doing it, but God, too often in the midst of our own gatherings, how we can become so just so distracted that we neglect to acknowledge and embrace your presence. Father God, I pray this morning that we would see your presence and for what it means to us and for us in our lives. God, speak to us through your text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, for many of us, the concept of God and his presence in our lives is important, but... It also is the least considered and the most neglected thing, I believe. You know, we love to talk about, and we've been talking about it through our study in the book of Galatians, as we talk about God's grace and His promises of grace and the assurance that comes with that. But I believe that too often, in the midst of that, we begin to neglect or even notice to see or see or interact with the very presence of God in our life. Because there is a difference. You know, when we talk about God, I'm not saying that there are spaces at which God is not present because we know that our God is omnipresent that God is present everywhere but there's a difference between being with someone and being in some being in Christ be that this presence this relational connection where we talked about a couple of weeks ago where we could cry out Abba, Father, this intimate relationship, this closeness, this nearness that we can have to a holy God, that even as believers, we can move ourselves away from that presence, that we can become so distracted, that we can become so involved with other things that we begin to miss that God is actively present in every moment, in every day, in every situation of our lives. And I wanted to start out in John chapter 1 and we'll find ourselves in Exodus 33 if you want to prep for when we get to that point. And I know you're thinking to yourself, how are you going to do this quickly? We'll see. But John chapter 1 just establishes so much for us, but I believe we have to understand why the value of the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives is so important, so valuable in the necessity of navigating Christian life. You know, he says in John chapter 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. We begin to see this creation narrative kind of laid out very much mimicking Genesis chapter 1, where we see God being very clear about creation and the status of creation and where creation came from. And not only that, but who was present at creation. And he tells us here, he says in Genesis 1, 1, he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see this kind of connection between these two Verses where he says in the beginning was the word so this word was present this word word comes from the word logos and for the people at this point they would have understand that word to have a very significant meaning. They would have known that this word communicated the power that set the world in perfect order. They would have known this word to mean the the very elements that keeps the world going. That there's a lot of weight to this. That the word was not just a word, but the word was a power. The word was a presence. The word was motion. And he says that the word was in the beginning. And so for us, we understand that what John is communicating here because he spends the whole book of John establishing who the person of Jesus is. He begins here by saying in the beginning was the word. And we know that he is telling us that the word is the, the, the physical manifestation of Jesus is the word that Jesus is. Physical presence is the manifestation of this logos, or the word God Himself, the power of creation, physically manifested with His people. And then He says in John one one, continuing on, He said, "The Word was with God. The Word was God." You know, I know a lot of us believe this, but I don't know if we acknowledge this enough. And it's very important that we acknowledge this because our doctrine in, in this separates us from how others may view this. That we believe that Jesus was God, that even though he was separate from God, the father, that he was of the essence of God, the creator, a part of creation, a part of that work, a part of what God was doing amongst his people and for his people in establishing the world, that he was one with God in his essence, the second person of the Trinity, the sonship of God. And that it is is important that we we know that, that we're not talking about multiple gods, but we're talking about God himself in the flesh dwelling among his people. And that we know that this God that was with God, that was God, that was in the beginning, that was a part of the creation narrative, that this God, the creator, stepped down into creation for its redemption. Step down into creation for its redemption. You know, John 10, 30, he says, I, am the Father, I and the Father are one. Philippians 2, 6-7, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, it says, who though, talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The thing we have to understand about our Creator God who came and then... Physically manifested as the word among his people. He did not give up his deity. He did not give up his status as God. But he gave up his privilege as God. Not by letting go of his his, his deity. He was 100% God. But he emptied himself by putting on broken human flesh. He came and He emptied Himself by putting on brokenness. He emptied Himself by putting on hurt. He put on pain. He put on suffering. He put on all these things for His creation. You know, this word empty, it means to deprive. Or to cause a thing to be seen to be empty. So it's not even the idea of being completely empty or, or, or lacking anything, but to see he, he came as a servant, the king of kings, the lord of lords put on broken flesh and dwelt on earth. You know, we, we, we can't fathom that connection and how that manifests because we, we think to ourselves, there's no way that a God, the creator of the universe would step into creation like surely he would have to let go of that because within that surely he would be too prideful surely he would be too good to dwell and to be and to hurt and to suffer like broken man but that's exactly what our God did that he came 100% God and put on 100% of broken flesh of broken uh, mankind for me and for you This is the presence of our God amongst us, that the work of creation was great. And I believe that's why it connects it to the creation narrative, that the work of creation was great, but the greater work was the work of redemption. Why is that? It costs more to redeem us than to create us. Creation came through speaking a word. God spoke existence into being. He spoke the earth into the being, he spoke the waters and the seas and the lands and the animals and mankind into creation. But first Peter 1 tells us that for our redemption, his blood was shed, that he suffered for our redemption, that he died for our redemption, that he was broken for our transgressions, for our sin, he put on flesh stepping into our space for what? The way God chose to rescue sufferers was by becoming a sufferer himself. Church, and, and we have to know this, and, and I want to establish this so much before we move on, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there. i got four minutes left on my timer, but we're getting there. Every moment of suffering was done with us indeed. Every dark moment of physical, relational, societal, and judicial suffering had a high and holy purpose in it, and it was our salvation. Jesus came to suffer because He came to be our Savior. This is our God. God with us. God incarnate. God in flesh. Logos, The Word manifested on earth with His broken people. And then in in John 1, 4 through 5, he says in him was life and the life was light and the light shines in the darkness. When it says this word darkness, I believe it's clear that the Bible, when it talks about darkness, it speaks of it in two different ways. An intellectual darkness that refers to error or falsehoods or a lack of understanding or knowledge or a moral darkness that refers to sin or wrongdoing. And so there is this darkness that is present with us and the Bible tells us that he came. With life and light connected to provide for us, to give to us knowledge and pureness and holiness. He came to provide that for us in a way. And a lot of times that scares us because the knowledge that God gives us in his light also reveals to us our brokenness and our sin and our desperate need for a savior. But within that, in his light, comes holiness, comes his righteousness, comes his love, comes his grace, comes his mercy, comes these things that he lays before us. For his people, through Jesus, for his glory and for our good. And then John 1 14, he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt. Means to occupy or to reside, and you know, usually in the Old Testament, it carried with it this idea of communicating of a God who dwelt in a, in a tent. You know, it kind of it can be translated to to pitch a tent. You know, this space at which God dwelt. And we know that that the children of Israel carried God with them in the Ark of the Covenant. He was placed in the Holy of Holies, and God's presence dwelt there. And they could not go before God's presence unless there was sacrifice made. And once a year, the the priest would come and make sacrifice for the people. And the regular people they couldn't interact with God because they would be consumed because of their sin and their brokenness. And so when he's talking about Jesus, the word logos manifested for us, it says that he dwelt among us, became flesh, became like us, became in a way that we could interact with that God, became in a way where we could see. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. Came in a way where we could dwell. Where he could dwell among us. Occupy a space where we are. Be present with his people. And that's where we find the value. And begin to see. I pray for us as Christians. As we move into focusing in on the presence of God. That we see the value. Is beyond just being close to God. Having God. Present in this room in a sense of that he's everywhere, but having a nearness a closeness on a personal level with a holy God in our life from day to day. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, let us pitch our tents around this central tabernacle. Do not let us live as if God were a long way off. Let us not live as if God is a long way off, but let us, I love that. Let us pitch our tents around him. Let him be the central point of our community. Let him be the central point of my life and the way I lead my family and the way that we lead and function within the context of our church, within our circles, within our places of influence. And so for us, what is the challenge? The challenge for us this morning is this, that we would be embracing his presence and not just his promises. Because we love to talk about God's grace. We love to talk about his purpose. We love to talk about all the things that he has for us. But can we understand and know that there is a way in which us, even as Christians, that we can live our life neglecting to acknowledge and embrace the presence of God even in the midst of chasing after his promises. And then in Exodus 33, this is where we find ourselves there. And then we'll finish up. Exodus 33, if you can turn there with me, if not, it'll be on the screens. Exodus 33, the children of Israel have just sinned greatly and rebelled against the Holy God as Moses is up on the mountain, interacting with God, receiving promises and truths and the law from God. The people begin in Exodus 32, begin looking for a God to worship, a physical manifestation to worship something that they can worship. They got distracted. They began to rebel. They began to look outside for something different. Within that, during this time, they're on their journey to the promised land. God is leading them, protecting them, providing for them. And in Moses' interaction with God, this is what God says to Moses. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. He says, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. You know, I think that's very interesting. You know, as God is telling them, You know, we have to understand this isn't God changing his mind. This isn't God being convinced by anything. But this is this is a way at which God is being communicated and revealed to us so we can understand the weight of our sin and our rebellion. In Psalm 106:21, it says that they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things. In Egypt. And then what did God tell him though? I think it's interesting that we see that in verse three. What did God tell him? He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that the place that he had been telling them that he was leading them? This is the place in which he said that he was going to go. This was the promised land. He's describing the promised land. God says, go, go to the promised land. But I will not go with you because of your sin, because of your rebellion. He says, go. So they have a clear path to God's promises. They have a clear path to this way. He even says right before this, he says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out all the nations that are in your way. God says, I will make a clear path to the promised land that I give you, but I will not be there. You know, there's a difference between being near to a person and having a functional relationship with that person, right? I mean, we can be around our spouses all the time, but if we're not having a functioning relationship with our spouses, how are we benefiting? You know, the same within the presence and context of God. I mean, God is always present. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But within the context of that presence, how are we benefiting if we're not engaging and embracing what he has and who he is? You know, Moses intercedes here, he brings up a beautiful picture of the life of a believer when we consider and seek to live with and in the presence of God, living in the presence of God, walking in the presence of God. He says this in in Exodus 33, 15, and I pray that this would be our heart. I pray that this would be our prayer, that even as beautiful and as wonderful as the promises of God, look for peace and comfort and stability and grace and mercy and all these things. That I pray we would be as Moses here. And when he says in Exodus 5, 33, 15, and he said to him, speaking to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses tells him, I don't want the promises without your presence. I don't want what you have unless you are there, God. You know, I think there's a lot in our lives we pray for and that we want. You know, we want the good life, we want the job, we want the money, the success, the health, the happiness. But what good is it if God isn't in it? What good is anything if God's presence isn't there? If we're not acknowledging God, if we're not praying without ceasing in the way that we live and navigate and think and interact with the Holy God. If God's not the central point, dwelling among our our, our hearts, dwelling among our lives in the midst, in the very center of our spiritual life. Then what value is? What are we following? What are we being led by? What are we being empowered by? God said, he said, I'll make a way for you in 332 And Moses points us to the truth worth considering. What good is anything to us if God's not with us? You know, the people even say it's a disastrous word in Exodus 4. They understood that the God that saved them from Egypt. The God that provided for them, the God that fed them, the God that has led them, that He is the goal. That it's not just the promises. That it's not just what He wants to give us in the sense of His grace and what He has done for us. But it's in the truth of what He's revealed. It's in the truth of what He's providing, It's in the truth of what He has for us. You know, we are quick. Right? We are quick to cling to his promises. We are quick to cling to his promises without living in his presence. And his presence is the promise we need the most. His presence is the promise that we need the most. Because it, it, it doesn't matter And they understood this. That there is no geographical or social position that could replace or replicate the satisfaction of God himself. In acknowledging God. Being close to God. Having an intimate Connection and nearness to God in our hearts and in our minds, and how we connect with Him. And then for them, Moses intercedes, and for us, Jesus has been our intercession. He is the key to God's presence for us that we would dwell, that He would dwell in us through the Holy Spirit, because He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, He is what God has given us to enter into that presence that in Christ. We are made righteous, not by our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness, imputed all on our behalf, given to us. And so what does his presence mean to us when we engage God for his presence? in the worship team, you guys can go ahead and start making your way up. And we're going to end with a time of worship this morning as we celebrate the presence of God and what that means for us. But what does his presence mean for us? Why is his presence The most valuable promise that we should be clinging to. The first thing is that in his presence we can rest. In his presence we can rest. We may not be journeying to conquer and to find the land like Israel was. But we are moving through life striving for blessings. Striving to know God. Striving to interact with God. We can rest in knowing that Jesus didn't strive. That we don't strive to earn what God has for us. But then in Christ we find rest in Exodus thirty-three, fourteen, 14. He tells him. He says in my presence will go with you and I will give you rest that in Christ. We find our rest in his presence also in his presence. He loves us in his presence. We know we can know that he loves us. His presence signifies favor in Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. He says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? It's within the presence of God that we acknowledge and embrace and know his favor. Because of Christ's obedience, God is our father. We gain his perfect approval in Christ seat of his take. And then the last thing, church. I know these kiddos are ready to start singing. So we're going to sing The last thing this morning, church, is that in his presence, he has called us. He has called us to see you in his presence. He has called us in verse 16 of Exodus 30. He says we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. He has set us apart. He goes with us to train us to empower us to accomplish the task he has for us. God has a goal. God has a purpose. God has a reason. God is using us. Not to just sit in his presence, but to walk, to move, to lead our families, to disciple our children, to disciple our friends, to be involved and interactive with the community of God's people and the believers. First Peter 2, 9 through 10, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. He says, once you are not a people. A people without a tribe, without an identity. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, the presence of God is the greatest promise that we can reach for, that we can interact with, that we can strive for in our day to day. I pray that as we engage God through his word, as we engage God through prayer, as we engage God through worship. that we would constantly be reminded of that the presence of God is the greatest gift he gave us. The power of creation, the power of the sustainer, the creator, the redeemer God has made his place among his people. And I pray that we would not be distracted so much by the promises that we miss his presence. That this morning, as we were saying, the presence of God is here with us. That the Holy Spirit dwells in everyone who has put their faith in Christ. And that that should be the greatest gift that we celebrate. That as we give of ourselves to the people around us. As we give of ourselves to our community. As we give of ourselves to our spouses. To our families. To the broken and the needy around us. That it would be in response to the gift of God's presence that he has given us. But church, can we stand this morning? Together, and celebrate His goodness. Help us pray for us. Father God, I thank You. God, I thank You for what You've done. God, I thank You for what You're doing. Father God, I pray that we would never be distracted. Father God, I pray that we would miss Your miss and put away the, the distractions of our life, God. But rest in Your presence, knowing what You've done, knowing what You're going to do. Knowing who you are, that God, the Creator of the universe, dwells among us, for our good, and for your glory. Lord, be with us. Help us. Lord, love. And thank you, Jesus.